Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Cricketers Playbook podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams. We are back to recap the world in cricket and what a week it's been from ODI double tons to a Maxwell masterclass. He did to discuss it with me is Cricket Australia commentator, former Sydney Sickers media manager, as always, Maxie Bryden. Maxie, welcome back, mate. G'day, Timo. Thanks for having me. Hello to all the uh, listeners. And, mate, what a week it has been. We've already had Maxwell fireworks in the T20 uh, and waking up to more silverware. So just another day in the life of Australian, basically. Tell you what, the inspiration for this podcast was to keep everyone on track of all the great cricket going on around the world and, what, four episodes in. I'm glad we've done it because... It really does that very well. There's so, so much that goes on. ILT20, SA20 tournament, ODI series here, test cricket there. It's absolutely outstanding. Also with us, my next guest, a cricketing tragic who's been spotted outside Parliament House protesting for the Canberra Comets' immediate inclusion into the BBL. Hammy Goodman. Hammy, welcome back, mate. Timmy, good to be back with you. Maxie, lovely to see you as well. Uh, Good to hear that the protesting potentially is working. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen or read, but there is a bit of influence in Canberra at the moment uh, and some some guys with some big pull uh, and some big bickies pushing for the Comets to get back into the Big Bash. So uh, a lot of people told me I was wasting my time, but um, I'm glad I went down and protested because uh, with a bit of luck, uh, the Comets are not too far away from uh, from being back in uh, in top flight cricket. Years of protesting, mate. The late nights throwing the swag out in the lawns of Parliament yep. House. They're starting to pay off for you. So BBL yep. 14, look out, Canberra. Comments, boys, on today's show, we will recap the West Indies versus Australia ODI and T20 series, discussing basically how bloody good Jake Fraser McGirt can be an exceptional talent. We'll get into what his future holds and what it may look like. The Australian Test Squad was announced this week to face New Zealand. Michael Nisa included into that one. A few little talking points there, including the appeal is Glenn Maxwell, arguably the informed player in world cricket and has been for some time. Is he any hope of ever returning to the Test arena, particularly on the subcontinent where we've seen a few other sides success being successful uh, with some big hitting cricketers out or not out? The segment for today from the under-19 World Cup ball handling scandals to the Chris Green obstructing fielders. been some very controversial umpiring calls in the past week. We're going to give our verdict on those. We're also going to touch on the under-19s World Cup final, Australia defeating India, claiming their fourth title, uh, and another massive win over the Indians in a big clash in the last 18, 12 to 18 months. Boys, let's get stuck into part one, though, and it is that West Indies versus Australia ODI T20 series. 3-0 and 2-0 thus far with one game to come in the T20s. Series review. 
Maxie, I'm going to start with you, mate. And plenty of Australian cricketers in particular got opportunities in these series. Who stood out for you? Who disappointed? What did you make of it all? Yeah, look, I think that was it, really. It was a, an opportunity, um, particularly in the one-day format, to uh, kind of see who the next cab uh, is. And I think um, with so much time after the last World Cup, where, of course, we won uh, and the next, um, what a fantastic opportunity it, it was to get started. Um, a couple of guys who really caught my eyes, and um, apart from the obvious one, Jake Fraser-McGurk, and uh, getting into his work in Canberra, um, was really Josh Inglis for me now. He's sort of a guy who, if you asked who had the gloves on in that World Cup, uh, just passed more casual fans. They, they might not necessarily remember uh, the job that he did in the middle order, but for years he's been really going about his work in domestic cricket, in particular for the Scorchers, but for WA whenever he gets the chance and, and making a name for himself, given the chance to open in those one days. And I thought he played fantastically well. Um, he's doing pretty well in, in the T20s as well. So um, for him, a guy who who is really improving his reputation. Also, a big shout-out to Sean Abbott as well, who used all of that local knowledge at the SCG for a fantastic man-of-the-match performance uh, in that second T20. Uh, and then, of course, the X-Man. I, I think uh, Big Bash Tragics knew what we had uh, on our hands, but the West Indies surely didn't. Um, two games, two forfeits. Um, and could he be a man uh, for a long career uh, with the baggy green cap potentially on his head? Uh, I, I think he's got all that potential. Um, so as much as the results could have been a lot closer and, the, and, and could have been more entertaining, um, at least, I guess, having a taste of some of these new players gave us really something to look forward to in the future. Yeah, Xavier Barlett, the X-Men, love that, mate. An absolute phenomenon. Uh, and what he's done recently for Brisbane Heat, of course, now for the Australian side, uh, a big one to keep out on and sure to feature possibly for the second week in a row in our world team of the week at the back end of the show. Maxie, just on that, and, and you mentioned Josh Inglis there and sort of tying in nicely to the, the Australian test squad, which we'll get to shortly. And Alex Carey, a player who is under a bit of pressure in that side, not a heat, but a little bit of pressure, especially after that loss to the West Indies. Josh Inglis, we know short form doesn't always translate to, to longer form and test matches and whatnot. But at the end of the day, if you're scoring runs for your country in as good a fashion as he has for Australia in recent short form games, it's going to help his case down the track if Kerry does have a, a poor series over in New Zealand. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And while I think that hopefully uh, the, the Wolves aren't necessarily banging at the door for Kerry yet, um, you've got to remember, even in that first innings at the Gabba in the last test where I, I think he scored a 60-odd, he was the bloke going viral for the bail not falling out of the stump uh, when he was on single figures. So um, he could have easily have had uh, as poor a series as, as, as say, Manus or, or, or the big Bison did against the West Indies. Um, and then, you know, we could be talking about it. If there's anything counting against Josh Inglis at the moment, potentially making the jump in the Red Bull matches, it would just be that by virtue of his presence in the Australian white ball teams, he hasn't had that many Red Bull games of late. Um, potentially something to think about for selectors to see if he's got a uh, got the game and get a few more uh, runs under his belt for WA in the Shield. Um, but geez, you know we're blessed for keeping talent at the moment with those two. Uh, so I really like the idea of him continuing to heat pressure and potentially getting a shot one day. Yeah, great uh, competition for spots, outstanding for the national side, of course. Hammy, what'd you make of the series? Who stood out to you? We know you're a big fan of the X Men. Uh, who stood out? Who disappointed? What did you make of it all? Well, well without giving away too much uh, for the team of the week, a little bit later, the X-Man may well feature. Uh, I think he really was, really did put his stamp on the series. And, 
you know, you don't get too many chances, uh, particularly as a bowler, to kind of um, get in, you know, pull the Australian colours on and, and show people what you can do because these guys, the big four, they, they want to play so much cricket. So it's very rare to get in there. So when you do get a game, it's important that you make an impact to, to capitalise on that. And I think, uh, you know, the X-Man, Maxi, you said it well, I think he certainly did that. And uh, there's already been a little bit of chat now about, you know, is he worth uh, including in a, in a Red Bull squad? Um, you know, is he a guy that could, you know, play the bit of the the, the Boland role at the moment of, of the next guy up? Um, I think from what I've seen, the, the ingredients look like they're all there. So he probably is the one that stood out for me. You touched on Sean Abbott as well. Um, and he called it out. He goes, you, you very rarely get a chance to have a crack in this side. He played a great innings at uh, the SCG, made 70-odd, took a couple of wickets as well. Always good to see him going well. And then, of course, Fraser McGirt, without having a, a massive, massive score, just showed everybody a little bit of a glimpse of what he can do um, and how hard he can hit the ball, particularly uh, the innings he played with um, English at, at Canberra uh, to, to knock off those runs in 6.5 overs. Um my old man was pretty pissed off there. He spent 70 bucks on a ticket and got 30 overs of cricket. So he's home before the news. Um, bit of a shame for him, but very exciting for uh, the, the broader Australian cricket public. I think the three that you've already touched on there, those were probably the, the only ones that really stood out to me, but um, excited to see them do well. Boys, Jake Fraser McGurk. This kid, the sky is the limit. I'll read through his most recent innings, of course. Sort of mid to late last year, the start of the Marsh Cup season, he blasted that, the the quickest century in 50-over cricket. 29 balls, was it? 29 balls, I believe. Yep. And since then, without going big as such, he he's shown – obviously, that put the world on notice. He's been, if nothing else, entertaining. And his most recent innings, I'll read them out. He scored six. That is disappointing against Victoria in the Marsh Cup during the week. Prior to that, 41 off 18 against the West Indies, 10 off 5 against the West Indies. He played over in the ILT20 tournament in Dubai, 41 off 17, 14 off 9, 54 off 25. Before that, it was in the final game for the Renegades in the Big Bash, 42 off 31. Some pretty good consistency there. That 6 in the Marsh Cup was his first single-digit score in something like 10 or 11 innings. Hammy, like, how good can this bloke be? because it's undeniable the talent that he's got. And he reminds me of a young David Warner when he first burst onto that T20 scene for Australia. Set the world alight. And there were critics saying, you know, he's too explosive. We won't be able to turn this into test cricket. Jake Fraser McGurk, albeit probably a little bit more aggressive at that stage of his career, not by a lot. He has the perfect blueprint to convert his talent to test cricket because of what David Warner has done over the past decade and the rest. Uh, talk to us about him and what the future holds for Jake Fraser McGurk. Very excited for Jake Fraser McGurk. And I think the, the comparison you've given there, Timmy, is spot on. Uh, David Warner, uh, wax the ball, gun fielder, a little bit of swagger, not afraid to get a, um, a couple of earrings out, uh, get a mullet shaved in, put some outlandish sunglasses on, the complete package if you will. Very exciting. Not short of self-confidence. You see that in the way that he plays his cricket. But I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, he took a worldy catch on the boundary at Marvel Stadium. And uh, he actually, I don't know if it was him who got it made up or it might have been Nick Maddinson, but they definitely made and circulated some Air McGurk merchandise where they basically took a silhouette of him taking a catch on the boundary. And he actually got a couple of those out to his teammates as well. Exciting guy. Uh, I'm very excited for what he has in store um, in his career ahead 
Um, and I think, yeah, you know, Ricky Ponting came out and said he's got the the ingredients to play all formats. So that's exciting. We need a guy at the top of the order who's going to take the game on, keep the um, strike rate up. We need somebody essentially to uh, fill David Warner's role. So he's not ready to go right now, I wouldn't say, in test cricket. He's obviously gone over to South Australia to get a bit more red ball experience. Uh, seems to be going well. He's had a couple of uh, winters over in the UK as well. So really, you know, rounding out his game nicely. Had that setback, which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, scratched by a monkey in uh, South Africa in 2020. <laughs> Good to see that hasn't completely derailed what's going to be an exciting career. But um, yeah, I reckon uh, he's a guy we're going to be talking about on this podcast for a long time. And I, I, I think he has got the ingredients there to, to play across the formats too, which is very exciting. Yeah, tell you what, mate, going back, spending a bit of time in the, the county cricket over in England to harness that the, the longer form game, the red ball game, will do wonders for him if that is where he does want to go. Maxi, uh, Hammy did mention there around Ricky Ponting's quotes around him and you'd be you'd be a brave man to go against Ricky Ponting and his predictions. What does he do now, Jake Fraser McGurk? Because if we put aside the quickest 50 over century of all time, he's done a lot without doing anything, really. You know, he's had a few impressive cameos in the Big Bash, uh, and, of course, for the Australian side now, no no mean feats. Like, quite incredible. But they've been some 30s here and 40s there and that incredible Marsh Cup ton. What does he have to focus on now? Is it Does he does he harness that talent for the short-term game in the 20-over and 50-over? Obviously, it's going to be personal preference if he wants to make the test squad a priority. Uh, how do you see his next sort of 12 to 24 months playing out? Yeah, well, look, I think first and foremost, in all that experience that Hammy was just talking about, he he did score his first Sheffield Shield ton as well mm-hmm. earlier this season um, for South Australia. And, and he's really um, been going about his Shield cricket um, in an absolute hurry. Uh, he's bringing his own version of Basball to the Redbacks. Um, hasn't necessarily been successful in every innings he's tried, but um, it's certainly entertaining to watch. Look, I, I think more so than anything, the, the only thing that is really going to stop McGurk at this point in his career is actually what he decides to do. And does he actually want to play test cricket? I think that for a while, Australians have gotten used to that being the pinnacle and that being the goal for everyone to aim for, for the baggy green. But at 21 years old, this guy has left the Big Bash uh, final system to go and play overseas in a T20 competition, which is what some other characters uh, in and around our team, like Tim David, Daniel Sams, um, have already sort of, done within their careers it, there are multiple paths now that you can take in order to make a living from this game and mm. um f- to the best of my knowledge McGurk hasn't made it clear yet on on which path he wants to take so first and foremost he's going to decide what he wants to do um but look does he have the talent to make it Ricky doesn't get many things wrong yeah very well summarized there Boys, that ties us into a couple of little things and and we will go into the Australian test squad Pretty vanilla, essentially what was uh, named against the West Indies. Lance Morris is out injured. Michael Nisa comes in. Nisa and Scotty Boland being those additional bowlers in the side. And a bloke we didn't touch on just yet was Glenn Maxwell's stunning century in that second fixture against the West Indies just last night. We had a bit of a conversation pre-show about it, and it is it is fascinating because... Maxi, he's the from one Maxi to another Maxi. You know, probably the the most informed player in world cricket, albeit in shorter forms, T20, 50 over, etc. 
We've seen Basball have uh, mixed success in a short period over on the subcontinent, and we've seen some of these explosive cricketers have success there. We've seen the success that Glenn Maxwell has had on the subcontinent. He's, what, about 35 years old now. Is the door shut on Glenn Maxwell's test cricket career because the form is in, you just go, the form is in, the fact that he's an all-rounder, bowls good part-time offies, is it done? Can you get him in there? Let's make this the appeal for the show. Give us your thoughts. Well, look, first and foremost, if we're shutting the door on 35-year-olds, and I might need a moment uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to prepare uh, for look what I thought was something hopeful. But look, look, in all seriousness, I think that Glenn Maxwell should be in and around the test squad um, on his ability alone. And it's not just because of Basball. Uh, it's because of so many of the things that make him wonderful at what he does. It's it's his confidence, it's his shot selection, it's the fact that he's unlike any other cricketer that we have in an, in this country uh, with the shots that he can play. Um, does he have the potential? Absolutely he does. Now, this is a man who has scored four centuries in his last nine innings for Australia. When the teammates uh, around him are better, when the stakes are higher, he rises to the top. He's already scored a test century uh, in India several years ago. Um, and I think that really his game, there are few players in the like There is no one else in Australia who can play like he can. And, and there aren't that many people in Australia as well who can also sweep the ball like his do, which is such a crucial component of Basball uh, and, and guys like Ollie Pope and the success that they're having uh, in uh, the subcontinent conditions. So I think that there's no way that the door should be shut for Glenn Maxwell's test career. Um, and I think that for our next overseas tours, particularly places like Sri Lanka, if we go back to Pakistan and in India, his name should be right at the top of the list and I'd love to see him get a crack. Yeah, and it's very interesting you mentioned obviously age there being being the big barrier, the big hurdle for him, but Mitchell Marsh, the Bison, just won the miraculous Alan Border medal and he turns 33 this year. I know <clears throat> still significantly younger than where Glenn Maxwell is at in his career, but you know we're seeing so many of these players around the, the mid-30s still having so much success. Look at our current squad, half our bloody squad is around that age. Uh, Hammy, how do you say it? Do you think that Glenn Maxwell should be considered for future test tours or do you think uh, the door is closed? Well, I was just trying to pull it up there. I wasn't quite able to get a uh, handle on his last first-class outing in domestic Australian cricket. I know he's played a little bit, um, you know, county cricket uh, through the winter over there. Mm. But, uh, look, I think he has always wanted to play a bit more test cricket, but he's just never been given the opportunity, particularly in the last probably six, seven, eight years to, to play enough red ball cricket to demand selection. He's gone back a few times um, to uh, the Sheffield Shield. I remember they played a game at North Sydney a couple of years ago and he, he peeled off a 250. I think it was his his top score um, when a similar conversation was having and uh, a few people were kind of questioning his credentials, whether he could do it, and he did it in pretty convincing fashion. Um, look, you know, Maxi made some good points there. He, he's got a lot of experience playing in the subcontinent. That's an area that, you know, a part of the world that Australia have struggled to have much success in, particularly in red ball cricket um, over a long period of time. So his is a name that comes up regularly. I think uh, there was a, a couple of tours a year or two ago. We had Pakistan and then we had India away. Maxi broke his leg. He was kind of in and around the squad then. That probably wasn't great timing. <clears throat> Look, I, I'd like to think that maybe... In this kind of you know culture that Pat Cummins has got going, we just saw Mitch Marsh get pulled back into the team last year. He's getting on a little bit as well. As far as um, he's not that old, 32, 33, but 
um, he got given another chance, and you know he's very appreciative for it. Obviously, winning the Allen Border Medal, but maybe the the door is open for a couple of these guys who have been a bit maligned, but have clearly got some good skills um, to get another go. Um, I, I I think it would have to be it'd be long odds to see him get a, another gig in the in the Test arena, but um, I would love to see it. There's still three Sheffield Shield rounds to go this year. Um, be interesting to see if he plays. A couple of those games, clearly he's putting his cards on the table and, and saying, I want to do it. Um, but we'll, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. I, I can't see it happening. I want to see it happen. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think it would be highly unlikely. Boys, I'm going to give a, <clears throat> a momentous decision uh, in the history of the Cricketers Playbook podcast here. It's a split decision because the heart says that we all want to see Maxwell back in the test arena. So I can't shut a door on it. Maybe that's just the bias of me wanting to watch him play again. But the head says that he's 35 years old, we've got a successful test team, and I'm just not sure that it's going to happen. So going to go with a split decision uh, for this one. Boys, to the next segment, out or not out, some... Uh, some funky decisions in world cricket, all in the space of the last week or so, and we are going to give our verdicts whether it should be out or not out. We'll start at the under-19s World Cup. An English batsman picks up the ball on the ground. The ball had stopped. The Zimbabwean wicketkeeper comes round. It all happens very quickly. They go up, they appeal. He's out, not Technically for handled ball, but obstructing the field. Hammy, I'll start with you, mate. What did you make of this one? Look, it's not often you're probably going to hear me on this show or in any um, part of life uh, say, you know, get on board England and say England are in the right. But, um, I mean, fair dinkum. If you're, if you're appealing for that, have a good hard look at yourself. I mean, the ball had come to a complete stop. He was doing a favour uh, for the fielding team. And it wasn't impacting in any way, you know, um, the ball the ball wasn't going to go and hit his stumps. Uh, we've seen a few instances of that over the years where, where handled the ball. I think Steve Waugh got out that way in India. Uh, mm. There's been a couple of others over the journey. I get that. When the ball's live, when it's moving around, you can't touch it with your hands. When it's just sitting there at a complete stop, I mean, please. please like, honestly, how, how, do you, how do you sleep at night appealing for that to be given out? Now, I do, I understand, look, the, the field of play is the uh, fielding side's domain. So, you know, basically they own that domain and they're allowed to, I suppose, appeal for whatever they want. And I know my, my father was a – he coached me and my teams um, kind of growing up uh, to a point, and he used to get dirty on anyone who would pick the ball up and give it back to the fielding team. He'd go, stuff that, that's their job. They've got to pick that up. They've got to do that. <laughs> that that's, that's one argument that is probably going to be made. But, I mean, honestly, I really – I can't, I can't have it. I think it just felt yuck. It was gross. Grow up. Um, and it was a desperate play from a desperate team who ended up getting towed up anyway, which was, which was nice. So the, the right result happened, but um, foul, foul behaviour as far as I'm concerned. Hammy siding with the English. Maxi, how'd you say it? Oh, look, I, I think in a word, yuck, um, as, as you said, Hammy. Yeah. Um, it, there's nothing like cricket to, to really... To, to bring out the, the weirdest rules that just make absolutely no sense uh, to things that have absolutely no impact on the actual performance of the game. So um, absolutely not out, disgraceful stuff, get rid of the rule and it's a not out from me. 
Well, he's, I've always been a, a massive fan of Zimbabwean quick cricket from Andy Flower to Tender Taibu. I love them all. But in this instance, <laughs> it is a consensus not out and a garbage appeal from the Zimbabweans. Moving on to Aussie, Chris Green, obstructing the field. He blocked a ball in the Sheffield Shield back to the bowler who picked it up, pegged it back at the stumps. It all happened very quickly once again. Green steps back in front of the ball and blocks it, stopping its opportunity to hit the stumps out of his crease at the time. It was given not out, Hammy. Should it have been given out? I could have absolutely lived with this being given out. I think there was a similar incident in the Sheffield Shield a couple of years ago. Sam Harper, may have been the batter at the time, was given out, doing essentially the same thing. If that was given out, I could have lived with it. There is a little bit of wording, I believe, in the law, which has to do with um, if the batter is defending themselves um, from getting injured by the by the uh, the ball and the trajectory it's on, then it's okay. But I don't think he was in any danger of getting injured. Um, you know, it was probably about ankle height, maybe shin height. Um, he played a, a pretty legitimate forward defence at it, and um, I, I absolutely could live with that one being given out. Yeah, Chris Green's messaging you through as we speak, mate, saying that it's bullshit and that it should have been given not out, <laughs> rightly so, so not happy about it. Um, Maxie, how do you see it? Yeah, look, I thought it was a really awful look. Um, and I, I would suggest that in um, some interpretations of the law that absolutely um, he could have been fired for that. Um, I think he's probably saved by the fact that because the bowler threw the ball and he was already standing in between the stumps uh, and, and the bowler, um, that he was only defending himself from injury. So um, I could can see where the umpire is coming from, but, geez, it was, it was just awful. It, it, was just, it was just really awful to see all around. Didn't like what the batter did. Um, didn't like what the bowler did. Uh, so ho- hopefully we can just move on. Yeah, Ed Cowan on a on a podcast during the ABC Grandstand, I believe it was, to quote him, he'd done his research, in Australian domestic cricket only, if the batsman is stationary, not attempting a run, has his eye on the bowler and the ball, that instead of letting the ball just hit him, he can use the bat to protect himself. So technically, probably not out in Australian domestic cricket only. Uh, I tend to think as well, though, that it was, again, this word's been used a bit, but ugly and... I would have been happy to see it given out. You know what? Tough one. Boys, lucky last. Alzari Joseph in the Australia versus West Indies clash. Run out. Maxi, you can run us through this one. Another no, another controversial one. Yeah, look, I didn't really expect uh, tonight's podcast to feature the word yuck so many times. But, geez, the whole situation was just left a really bad taste in my mouth. Uh, so, final wicket partnership for the West Indies. Alzari Joseph completing a, a pretty quick single. Uh, ball was thrown into the bowler, Spencer Johnson, who took the bails. And um, it, it was tight. Uh, he didn't sort of launch an, any obvious appeal, sort of returned back to his mark. Uh, he's got a long way to walk, does Spencer. Uh, <laughs> and with the clock ticking, um, he's, he was sort of straight away on his bike. Uh, and the umpire, Jared Abood, he claimed at the time that no one appealed. Uh, and within 15 seconds or so, uh, when the replay went up on the big screen, it was clear that Alzari Joseph was run out, uh, but the umpires hadn't reviewed it. Um, at which point the Australians launched a bit of a protest, uh, led by Tim David, who said, um, "Man, I've definitely appealed, uh, but look, just just wasn't to be the um, 
just just wasn't really the case. So for me, I thought it was absolutely rubbish. I don't know why with so much technology in the game, even to the point where umpires are checking every single delivery for the fact that it's a no ball without anyone even asking the question that we have to still appeal in this game for a run out. Um, I think it's ridiculous. Uh, I think that, you know, if it had been given out, even by the third umpire, no one would have cared either way. But the fact that Jared decided to be stubborn and act within the laws, which of course is his right, has just led to us talking about it on a podcast. It's <laughs> yuck. It should have been out. Uh, and I'm sick of it. Give Jared a break, mate. He's given us a bit of good content for this uh, podcast this week. So let him <laughs> off. Hammy, what did you make of it? I mean, that's what the technology is there for, isn't it? Uh, remarkable that the umpire um, kind of had to defer to, no, no one appealed, no one appealed, so too late now, too late now. Um, I will say, actually, having been in the hot seat as a uh, match official a couple of weeks ago in a uh, charity rugby league game, when people come at you like that and you've already made an incorrect decision, um, it is very hard to kind of backpedal or, or cover your tracks a little bit. But at that level, I mean, they've got enough people in the you know um, third umpire box clearly out um, I mean, it was just out. Um, <laughs> we've said yuck enough on this podcast that I don't need to add to it anymore, but um, out, pack them, you're on your bike. I mean, it did make for a more, um, a tighter finish, but um, it, it need not have uh, because it was just out. There'd be some very old school, traditionalist English cricket fans out there putting their nose up at you two blokes for not getting an appeal in and, and, uh, Trying to say that it's been given out, but no, I'm with you on that one, boys. But very interesting week for umpires in World Cricket. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, boys, to wrap up the first half, major half of the show, the Under-19s World Cup final, Australia dusting up India by 79 runs in South Africa. You bloody beauty, our fourth Under-19 World Cup title. West Australian quick. Surprise, surprise. It's another quick to come out of West Australia. Marley Beardman, man of the match with three for 15 off seven. Just pretty incredible figures there. Uh, I suppose first, Maxi, what'd you make of the win and who caught your eye in this on uh, in this tournament? Oh, absolutely brilliant. First under-19s World Cup uh, for the Aussies since 2010. Um, team led by Mitchell Marsh uh, featuring Josh Hazelwood. Um, a few other names, I believe Adam Zampa was a part of that one as well, maybe even Kane Richardson. Um, but look, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And what really stood out to me following this tournament so much for the Aussies was that they weren't always reliant on the same player. Like at, at every point throughout the tournament, 
They've had a number of guys step up, um, be it with the bat, Harry Dixon, Sam Consas, the captain, Hugh Wigburn, I think his name is, uh, and the fast bowling cartel uh, to go along with the spinner, Raph McMillan. Um, we had big striker take six for in the semifinal. Uh, Vidler, Callum Vidler, the young tear away from Queensland. He's been taking wickets for fun. It was just a really, really brilliant team effort all round uh, for the Aussies to go through undefeated and claim the title. Um, I thought what I what I liked the most about this particular win uh, was it was hard to sing. Now, the, the New South Welshman, he's Indian-born. He plays for Campbelldown Camden, I believe, in the New South Wales Premier Cricket. He was having a stinker of a tournament after coming in as one of the most touted batsmen of this. He was holding down the number four spot for the Australian team and despite only scoring, it was less than 60 runs throughout the tournament leading into the final. The coaches had resisted the urge to to give him a rest and they'd changed the batting order a couple of times. They'd moved him from three down to four and they'd tried opening him in one game. But he came out in the final for the Aussies and he top scored with a brilliant 55 and, and effectively set up what was too big a chase for the Indians. So he really showed his class in that chase and, and really just showed just how strong this group was for a, for a team who really only came together a few weeks ago. So I thought it was brilliant. We're going to see a lot of these guys coming into the big bash, coming into domestic cricket in the next few years. Uh, and there's a lot of guys to watch uh, who could potentially be playing in the, in the, uh, in the big team one day too. Yeah, some incredible faith shown by the coaching staff to keep him in for that one and obviously pay it off. So congrats to them. Hammy, who caught your eye? Well, I was a big fan uh, coming into the tournament of uh, Harry Dixon and I think uh, he really showed uh, his wares and, and had some really good knocks right through the tournament. So I really like the look of him at the top of the order. Um, been in and around the Victorian squad a little bit. Uh, we were talking earlier about you know who our opener is going to be um, over the next little while and, and he certainly feels like one uh that is well worth a look sorry just trying to find my little tab here which had a couple of sorry give me one second boys all good mate i'll jump in quickly on you looking at a few of the top performers from the world cup from around the different nations saharan from india top run scorer with 397 runs at 56.71 mushir also from india 360 runs at 60. Harry Dixon, third top run score, 309 runs at 44.14. Over in the bowling department, Mafaka from South Africa, six innings, average 9.71. 21 wickets for the tournament. That is an unbelievable return from the young South African. Pandy over at India, 18 wickets at 10.27. And lucky last, Shah at Pakistan, 18 wickets at 12.38. So some huge returns there, Hammy. Yes, absolutely. I've, I've just got it back here. I think you touched on as well, Maxi um, Weebgen as well. Uh, a couple of captain's knocks there through the, the tournament and, and led the team around well. Ollie Peak is, is one that also I've been watching um, with a bit of interest out of Victoria. Uh, didn't start the tournament that well, but had a couple of really explosive innings towards the end. And if you're watching that final yesterday, he played a remarkable kind of like reverse sweep um, you know, off a Yorker that went for six, hits the ball very hard. Um, reminded me a little bit of, of Glenn Maxwell, who we were talking about earlier on the show as well. He's been tailing up big Premier cricket this year as well. I think he's averaging 70 in first grade cricket. He's only 17 years old, I think, as well. So um, he's certainly one to watch there. There was one from around the traps that, uh, from that controversial game as well, England versus Zimbabwe. Taz Ali um, from England. He's a league spinner. Spins the ball a long way both ways, and he took seven for not many. Um, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this guy potentially across formats um, in the in the years to come. He looked very impressive, um, 
and rip through uh, Zimbabwe um, when someone needed to because they were um, really clutching at straws trying to get blokes out, handled the ball. Yeah, if you're <laughs> flying it in both directions as a spinner, you've, uh, you're going places. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and landing on, if you land on a dime as well, look out. It'll take over world cricket for the next 15 years. Boys, yeah. let's get to part two of the show, the World Team of the Week. The part of the show that we get you up to scratch on all the best performances in world cricket from the past week. Or in this case, we're a little bit over a week, dating back to February 1. We've scoured every major fixture, both domestic and international, to vote on a World Team of the Week. We'll give our 3-2-1 for best performance in the world for the corresponding week with the votes going towards our Hall of Nations leaderboard. Each player's points go towards the tally for their country. We'll determine the winning nation each month and keep an ongoing leaderboard all year round. We do wrap up a bit over a month's worth, four episodes worth. So I say that's a month to see who's leading. Uh, the Pommies leading into this week were out in front. We also do give a bit heavier weighting to the international fixtures rather than the domestic ones. So buying some real big ones, we will go heavier in that direction. Maxi Bryden, I'll start with you, mate. You had the New Zealand and South Africa test. England and India test, Sri Lanka and Afghanistan ODIs. Hammy, you had Sheffield Shield in Australia, the Australia versus West Indies ODIs and T20s. I've got the South African T20 tournament. Uh, the Sunrisers Eastern Cape went and won that one. Shout out to Dan Worrell. Frankie Worrell, a part of that side, took two for 15 off four overs in the final. What a man. Uh, and I've also got the ILT20 tournament in Dubai. Boys, our top Three. Three batsmen to lead the charge. Maxi, what are your nominations? Yeah, look, got a few openers of note to call out this week. I, I want to start with a shout-out. Uh, not an official nomination, but Neil Brand, uh, the default South African skipper uh, who made his debut uh, against New Zealand while captaining the team. Um, first man to do that uh, since uh, Kiwi Lee German uh, did that for his country. And before that, it was the blokes playing in the first ever test match um, believe it or not um, but look he, he opened the batting but it was more for his bowling uh, that he's got his nomination this week um, eight wickets for the match including six for uh, in the first innings I guess someone had to take him um, but look tr- trumping him uh, Jaisa Wall from India 209 runs against England in the first innings of the second test the third youngest Indian uh, to score a double century and he's just 22 years old and he looks like He's going to have a very long and successful career uh, for them. Uh, and also, um, Patham Nisenka uh, from South uh, Sri Lanka, sorry, 210 of 139 deliveries in the huge uh, opening ODI win for Sri Lanka in their series against Afghanistan. It was the first Sri Lankan to score a double ton in an ODI. Uh, my number three, a couple of nominations as well. Kane Williamson, twin tons against that South African team with 118 and 109. And Shubham Gill, he also scored 100 in the second innings against uh, England as well. So, mate, very, very rich options coming from uh, my teams this week. Yeah, that is pretty red hot. Uh, Hammy, we're going to have a work cut out getting players into the top yeah. three here. Who'd you find? Look, great. And look, it was pretty slim pickings, I think, for in terms of top order batters um, from the games that I kept an eye on. Uh, probably one for me is uh, in the Sheffield Shield, Jack Clayton. Now, he made a, a very stylish 102 out of uh, an innings which totaled 160 for the Queensland Bulls. So he made the bulk of the runs for them there. Now, look, 102 runs on paper may not sound that exciting, but um, it also featured a massive spew as well uh, in some pretty <laughs> impressive conditions out in the middle of the gabatoire there. So 
um, for showing plenty of guts with the bat and uh, also um, out in the middle, uh, just generally in and around the square. Jack Clayton has to get a nomination for me uh, this week in the team of the week. I don't know if he's done enough, though, based on some of Max's norms. Yeah, well... We'll find out very shortly, boys. I had Alex Hales for the Desert Vipers, 66 off 37 in the ILT20 tournament. Ryan Rickledon, who's been a staple of this podcast since that tournament kicked off, he's been sensational. <laughs> hit, hit 90 off 45 deliveries uh, and may have been in the same game. That was for MI Cape Town. At number three, Kyle Varane for the Pretoria Capitals in the SA20 tournament, 116 not out of 52 balls at a strike rate of 223. So, boys, Jaius Wild, 209. That's going to be very hard to come past. I mean, if if an opening gets a double turn, you're in. So, Nasanka for Sri Lanka. Ooh, a bit of a rhythm there. That was all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, do, do we safely put those two boys straight in? I think so. Big ticks from me. And as a third, look, I'd love to get uh, my boy Varane in over in South Africa. Kane Williamson, though, twin tons in a test match, albeit against a weaker side. Pretty hard to knock. Still got to score him, mate. Yep, I think I think Kane's got to make his, make his way in. Overtook the rat as well, I think, in the process. <laughs> test test ton-wise, so get, get him in there. <laughs> lock in those three at the top of our order. Clean sweep for Maxi Bryden there. Boys, our four to seven in our side. We also need to find a keeper in this mix. Maxi, I'll start with you. Man, they, they just didn't stop coming uh, my way this week. So let's go number four, Rachin Ravindra, uh, the Kiwi prodigal son. Uh, you might remember from the World Cup, scored plenty of runs over there. 240 of the finest against South Africa. Uh, and then Tufa with the ball as well. Um, so he did that at number four for the Kiwis, and I think that he probably is looking like another one uh, to me this week. Um, number four, Angelo Matthews, 141 runs he scored against Afghanistan in a test match for Sri Lanka. Part of a big 230-run partnership with another guy, number five, Dinesh Chandamal, who scored 107 uh, in that same test as well. Um, we'll throw it over to the ODIs. Um, that same game that we saw Nasanka score 210, uh, we saw um, Asmatula Omo, uh, Omazai score 149 off only 115 deliveries uh, in what was a losing cause. So, um, look, it wasn't his fault. Um, <laughs> and then his batting partner, a huge partnership with Muhammad Nabi as well, who uh, Australians would remember from his uh, memorable cameos with the Melbourne Renegades. How's this at number seven? 136 of 130 deliveries to go with one for 44 from his 10 overs. Um, amazing effort. I think he could be a good uh, shout for the all-rounder spot. Um, he, that, those one for 44 with the ball as well was against a team total of 381 runs. So did it with the bat, did it with the ball. President, he just keeps on delivering. Very good, mate. Big performances from you. Uh, Hammy, what did you find for us? Yeah, I found uh, Ben McDermott uh, a ton in a losing side. That's always nice. 146 off 218 rocks. Gives us an option as well with the gloves. Uh, I think we've defaulted to Ben uh, a couple of times in the past if we've needed a wicket keeper. So he's one that stood out for me um, in that game against Tassie. The other one, I mean, Maxi in the T20 um, last night, 120 off 55 rocks. 
eight sixes in there as well. Um, back to the scene of the crime from a couple of weeks prior. Uh, get around him. He's, he's, we've been talking about him now in, in all three formats. Anytime someone comes into a T20 and the next day everyone's saying they should be in the test team, I, I think that's worth a nomination <laughs> in itself. Um, so they're my, probably my, my selections um, through the middle order. Boys, for me, Marco Yanton, Sunrisers Eastern Cape, the SA20 tournament, 71 not out of 31 balls. And in the same game, two for 34 of four overs. Unbelievable all-rounders return there. Boys, I also had Heinrich Klassen, the Durban Supergiants, player of the tournament in the SA20 tournament, 74 off 30 in the semifinal. And he also had a 40 off 16 in the same week. Enormous tournament. If we're looking for a wicketkeeper, Nicholas Poran, the West Indian star, MI Emirates in the ILT 20, 39 off 15 and four wicketkeeper catches in the same fixture. So we need a keeper. Poor aunt, looking all right. And boys, my new favourite player in world cricket, <laughs> Sikanda Raza for the Dubai Capitals, the Zimbabwean in the ILT 20 tournament. He's just a star. 60 not out off 45 and one for 16 off four overs. They made 171, and he had one for 16 off four. That is an unbelievable return. Righto, boys. A few that stand out to me there. Could debate a few, but Ravindra, Asmatula, Glennie, Maxwell, Yanson. We need a wicketkeeper in there. So Yanson kind of has to go in there. The only one there would be... Classen, mate. Yanson's like... Six uh, foot ten. Cla- cla- sorry, Classen. Jansen, Classen, mate. They're all in my team of the week. I've got, I've got a ton <laughs> of them. Classen, uh, I should say. I've been um, saying Crandall. Classen. <laughs> uh, and the only one, other one there, not only other one, but uh, does Muhammad Nabi sneak in ahead of any of those boys, runs, end a wicket and bowl to right? What do we think? Uh, I've got him carrying drinks. Mohammed Nabi, unfortunately, this week. We're, we're too stacked this week. We're just, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. We got It's good to have a bit of depth in the squad, but I, I I don't know if I can find a place for him in there. Could be the biggest vote-rigging scandal against the president since Donald Trump, but um, let's go 12th man. Real locker room guys for Mohammed Nabi. You just know we lift the spirits <laughs> of the boys. 12th man for Mohammed Nabi. Uh, Maxi, what about your bowling quartet? Bowlers, uh, Prabath Jaisaria from Sri Lanka was man of the match in that one-off test match against Afghanistan with a 5 far uh, in the second innings and 3 far 8 for the match. So decent returns with his left arm ortho. Uh, the guy who I'm really hot on this week with the ball, though, none other than Jasper Bumrah. Now, when you think about test matches in India, you don't think about right arm pace bowling. Uh, but he just continues to get it done. And quite frankly, I'm scared about what he could do on our shores uh, when he comes out here. Uh, nine for the match, including six in the first innings for India, six for 45. Jasper Brummer, I think he should be in this team of the week. All righty. Uh, Hammy, your nominations? Got a couple of strong ones here. Gabe Bell um, in the infamous um, Jack Clayton spew game up at the Gabba there. Uh, four for 40 and then six for 31. So that's match figures of 10 for 71 against Queensland. Thanks for coming from Gabe Bell there. Uh, and then Xavier Bartlett, we spoke about him earlier. Two uh, bags of four in his first couple of games for Australia. Four for 21 and uh, four for 17. So if you uh, combine those eight for 38, not bad going for your first two games uh, for your country. 
the only other one that I was going to throw into the mix there was from the Under-19 World Cup, the England versus Zimbabwe fixture, which we spoke about before, Taz Ali. I'm a sucker for a leg spinner. Uh, discussing this one with Maxi earlier, but, um, in the green room, best wronging since Pope at an Under-19 <laughs> World Cup. Seven for 29 off 7.5. Again, in the face of some... Um, quite frankly, offensive uh, ball handling uh, appeals going on as well. I'm going to have to throw Taz Ali in there as my as my third option. Taz Ali, very cool name also, which it all helps. It all helps. Yeah. Uh, for me, speaking, <laughs> speaking of cool names, a nice little segue into my first nomination, Otniel Bartman, the Sunrisers Eastern Cape, in a qualifier game as well. The Bartman does it again, four for 10 off four overs. Uh, I had a lot of English people stand out in my side this week. Ravi Bapara, the old boy, Abu Dhabi Knight Riders in the ILT20 tournament, four for 15 off four. Ollie Stone, the Dubai Capitals in the ILT20, four for 14 off four. And Muhammad Jawadala from the Sharjah Warriors in the ILT20 tournament, took three for five off two overs in a side that lost by seven wickets. That is pretty damn good going. Boys, four that stand out there, Jasper Bumrah, nine for in a big test match. Xavier Bartlett, I think, I think picks himself after the Australian side. A bit of bias, but Otniel Bartman for the East Sunrise's Eastern Cape, I like as well. Jai Saria, also probably hard to leave out. Eight wickets in a test match. What do we think? What did Gabe Bell do to you, mate? <laughs> in a shield game at, uh, at, the, at, at Queensland to keep their, their season alive. Well, look, if Maxi wants to put Gabe Bell in ahead of Bartman or Jaya Saria, I'm happy to do so. Look, as, as much as I love uh, Gabe Bell and his new look this season, um, previously sported the, uh, the, the ponytail, uh, and now he's gone completely bald, um, which also starts with B, as does Bell. We'd have four Bs in the bowling mm. attack um, if we chose him. But um, I think we need a spinner for balance, which is why Prabath Jaya Saria, for me, has to be in there with his left arm orthodox just for a bit of balance, challenging that front pad. Um, I think beyond that, I'm just really excited to know who the World Eleven are playing this week, Tim. The World Eleven uh, have <laughs> got the Australian second eleven because no, sorry, the Australian, <laughs> the Australian. I used to love those fixtures when Australia used to tail up the World Eleven with Hayden and Langer and Ponting. Some of the all time all time great series when they did that. Bring it back, Colonial Stadium. Yeah, yeah we get towed up these days. Good stuff. Actually. Three, two, one, voting, boys, done, off camera, Jaiswal, three, Nasanka two, and Ravindra, one. I thought Nasanka was a little bit hard done by from three, but we have spoken, and that is how the voting uh, has gone this week. So three points go to India, two points go to Sri Lanka, one point go to New Zealand. That puts New leaders on the Hall of Nations leaderboard. India on six, ahead of England on five. Boys, this is an Aussie-dominant podcast. We've got England and India one and two. That is heartbreaking. South Africa and and the West Indies on three apiece. Pakistan, Sri Lanka, two apiece. New Zealand, Bangladesh, and Australia on one each. We will wrap that up for this week's episode of the Cricketers Playbook podcast. Maxi, thank you, mate. Timmy, it's been an absolute pleasure. And look, it does feel like the Aussies have uh, probably let us down a little bit. We thought maybe we'd have the Indian summer and just uh, have you know be able to fill our boots against uh, the Pakistanis and the West Indies. Hasn't been the case yet. We've got one more T20 to go before we're overseas. So maybe that'll be, that'll be it. We'll have to tune in next week to find out. 
Yeah, coming off the Aussie summer, we got all this cricket and all this bias over here. To fall behind early is devastating. So we need something big in this final game heading into New Zealand. Hammy, thank you as always, mate. Thank you, Timmy. Uh, look, I mean, Australia may be letting us down a little bit, but uh, maybe some of the, the captain's calls and the judging there. I mean, I'm, I'm really not sure what Gay Bell has done to you, but um, he could have he could have got us a couple of votes tonight. But anyway, we'll take that one offline. We'll, um, we'll review that one and uh, we'll be better for the run next week, I'm sure. Need to put a bit more bias into this podcast. Cheers, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week.